0: this is family electric ghost and we're live on the air for the first time with Michael Hull. And, uh, thank you for being on the family electric ghost podcast. Uh, this, uh, this is a live podcast. So, oh, it's great to have new people. We like to talk to people all the time. Um, so, uh, hopefully, you know, we won't have, uh, you know, it's just, it's just live. That's the way we live. We do kind of stream consciousness, but, uh, also let people know we are a a featured podcast on a newsly platform. You might see that little icon up there. So if you use coupon code ghost, coupon code ghost, you get one month free premium subscription. But uh, once we get past that, what we want to talk about today with you is how movie podcasts can improve movie culture, which I'm really interested in, uh, what what your opinions are about that. And then uh, we'll just talk from there. Um, We'll start like with what. Well, how do you feel that that a movie podcast can improve movie culture? Well,
1: so we started a, pod, a Friend of mine is. Uh, I make movies. I make. Do- I have a documentary on HBO Max called Betrayal at Attica, and and you know, I'm making a, a project for Independent Lens right now, and and you know, love being a filmmaker. I also have an, an old friend who I've watched a thousand movies with who's a a critic for, you know, Vanity Fair and the New York Times. So like that, he's a proper writer, you know, proper uh, uh, movie intellectual. And we Mm -hmm. started a podcast because a lot of movie podcasts are pretty navel-gazy, dude. Pretty like, you know, there's a lot of sort of like, (laughs) you know, I'm going to talk for, and they're so long, you know, I'm going to talk for three and a half hours (laughs) about this one movie that I really like. And that's like, you know... it. This, the low barrier to entry for podcasts is one of the things that makes it beautiful. Like I don't do that. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say, don't mm-hmm. do that. Do that. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sort of reached a point where I can't listen. Thanks. to it uh, yeah, And
0: yeah. there are some good, yeah. you know,
1: there are some great, Counter examples. Karina Longworth does a show called um, "You Must Remember This." That's you know, she was a magazine writer before she started writing doing podcasts. So she does like very immersive, you know, magazine style shows, you know, and hers are about an hour and they're mm-hmm. really good, you know. But it, it just sort of as I started to to think about it, it reminded me more and more of what the video store used to be, and if. People remember video oh, stores, like you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, you have Blockbuster, but you would also have all the mom and pops around, right? And most towns had oh, some yeah. mom and pops. Yeah. And once you started, mm-hmm. sort of, once you had burned through all the movies at Blockbuster, you would end up at some of the other places, and you would have conversations with the people who worked in the store, and you would come mm. to sort of have your guy. You know, your, you know, your, your, your clerk, you know, you know, guy is a gender neutral term in this okay, situation, yeah. right? But you find your person who sort of, who, who understands the movies that you like, and then you will go and talk to them and they can make recommendations to you. And that actually becomes a really, you know, beautiful way to learn about new movies and really fruitful. And
0: Wasn't as I sort of. Quentin Tarantino kind of came from that. Didn't Quentin Tarantino kind of. 100%.
1: Famously. And also, <laughs> you know, so did Kevin Smith and so did about a million guys my age who you've never heard of. <laughs> right. And and sometimes we're, you know, we were on the other side of the counter. But as, as in, in this podcast universe, I started it started to really remind me of that because there's so many of these podcasts that as I've just said, I can't listen to. They're too long, they're too navel gazy, they're too whatever. But there's a couple of those that I do listen to because that's mm. my guy. You know, this is a person Mm -hmm. who and when they talk about movies, I really dig how they talk about movies. And I and I sort of try to to click into that, you know, so it's in a way like I think that the video store, the conversations that were happening in the video store really did improve movie culture because everybody went to the video store, including filmmakers. So Mm -hmm. filmmakers could go in these places and have these conversations. And I think also, in a lot of ways, it elevated the film conversation as a whole, because whereas before there are all these movies that you could only see at Lincoln Center or if you live in Los Angeles, you know, sort of stuff like that. Now you can go rent it on video and you can rent it on DVD. And as that market got bigger and bigger, more and more movies were available. And so, some of those conversations that used to only be possible in real, like hubs of movie culture, suddenly became possible all over the place. If you found someone who you could talk to at the store about your sudden Truffaut or Hitchcock obsession that you just sort of got out of the blue. You know, and that what to me like that actually elevated movie culture, it gave people a chance to talk about it with other people and get smarter about it and have deeper conversations about it, which gave them a chance to watch movies differently and more movies. And I think that at this point, we haven't quite gotten there with the podcast yet. You know, I, we haven't quite yeah. gotten to the point yet where podcasts, at least movie podcasts, are really elevating movie culture because they're not really interacting with, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I went and saw Barbie Heimer and that movie sucked. And like, oh, that's it's just podcast, like not a conversation. You know? It's just right. a
0: one one note. Like it's just a soliloquy of somebody saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I love Orson Welles and I'm just going to talk about the third man for three hours. <laughs> You know, which I, I, you know, I like. I like touch evil. I mean, I like Citizen Kane. I could probably go on for three hours, and I probably bore everybody. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you want to have maybe a give and take, like what we're doing, like the kind of the modern podcast where you actually have people talk. You know, to that's exactly
1: other, right. You know, well, and this was the thing when Jason and I were talking about making a podcast, it's like, all right, like I make movies. I have spent my entire career making and watching and thinking about movies. I've sold movies like, you know, I know how to, to sort of talk about it from that side of it. And he has made his whole career as a critic and he's an author and he has, you know, he, his last book was called Fun City Cinema. It's about 100 years of movies in New York. It's amazing. And still, as we were talking about it, it was like, okay, but we you're going to get guests, right? <laughs> like we're going to have, like, we're not just not just going to be you and me having the same conversations, frankly, we've been having <laughs> since high school because that's how long we've known each other. I know how you feel about The Godfather. I've watched it with you several times, you know? <laughs> and so even with sort of with, you know, what we could present as a sort of, you know, a, a heavyweight bona fides, it was like, no, no, you're going to hear plenty of my mouth on this podcast I'm on every week. What we also need to do is go get guests. And that gives us an opportunity. You know, the other thing that we did was we we put a framework to it. You know, so it's not just sort of like, here's a movie and I'm going to tell you all the things I like about it. the The mm-hmm. podcast is called A Very Good Year. And I am. I sound like I'm pitching the podcast, but I am also explaining why, because we we put some thought into this about how it would make a difference and how it would actually improve the thing. It's called A Very Good Year, and we have a guest, and they pick one year, and they pick five movies from one year. And so Mm. if you think about that, like a lot of times when we're talking about movies, we're talking about a genre, or we're talking about a director, or we're talking about, you know, an actor. We're not really very often talking about movies that all sort of happen at the same time. Wow, and and what that actually does is provides a different framework, a different way of thinking about movies. And it sort of butts things up against each other in, in, in an interesting way too, where you know, maybe you are gonna start talk about star wars you know but you're also going to talk about a tarkovsky movie that came out that year and who knows maybe they're connected in some weird way that we see 40 years later that they didn't end you know
0: yeah that's a totally um, different take head, that's not i haven't seen that so that 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 is kind of like, like when you do these podcasts where you go out here you you want to try to do something unique you know as a as a musician i don't want to clone everybody right that's out there. you know it i just I, be I a want, cover I, band yeah, that's not my <laughs> intention. I, I never wanted to be a cover band. So I think I understand that you want to distinguish yourself with something you think is actually
1: bringing something to the table. That's a new idea. You know, and that's, that's cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing that we do is we, we you know, in the beginning, in the very beginning, we have segments for the show. So nothing goes on too long. So we sort of, you know, tighten up some of these opinions. (laughs) Um, But also we start with sort of just an introduction. We hear who our guest is. We talk a little bit about why they picked their year. And then we actually do a news segment. So even if we're doing 1939, 1957, you know, whatever year it is that we're doing, we talk about some of the major news events and like sporting events, some of the people who were born or died that year. We sort Mm -hmm. of set the scene for, for the world outside of movies which is a recognition that like Hollywood is not a magical sort of fairyland. It is a place on earth where you go and they have to have toilet facilities like these are human (laughs) beings. And this is you know, this is a job. Right. And there's no doubt that there's art in it. And that's why we love it. And that's also part of why it's so sort of endlessly fascinating is that it's a, a clearly commercial enterprise that also contains some of the greatest art at least Americans have ever made, if not humans, right? <laughs> I mean, certainly Russians, you know, there's a lot of, right? This is sort of the peak of culture for a lot of places over the last hundred years. So how is it that a commercial enterprise became that? Because it exists in a human world. And so mm-hmm. we tell a little bit about the news and we talk about some of the other movies that were happening at that point, And then we get into the guest top five. And now we, you know, we're really talking about art now. We're not really talking about the world. We're talking about the movies they like and why they like them. And, you know, it is like we've had on, we had on, uh, uh, you know, the guy who was the director of photography for Selma, for example, right? And, you know, Academy Award, whole nine yards, like lives in a whole sort of other like Hollywood universe, but comes from. You know, like Haile Garima, like really loves all of these like super independent LA rebellion black filmmakers, you know, and like oh, so yeah. he has a perspective <laughs> on movies that just it's different,
0: yeah, that just
1: not very play. many people has, yeah. So when he brings you five movies, even if you've heard of them, you don't know necessarily know what we're going to what talk about what you thought it would be. It's not, right. what, yeah, it's interesting what
0: people's taste, you know, can yeah. you assume you talk to somebody and they're going to be in that in the world that they're in and a lot of times it's not necessarily true you know even with musicians you know you could talk to jim morrison right and you say well who's his favorite singer and Mm -hmm. then when somebody asked him was frank sinatra (laughs) really and like but if you think about it is the way he sings he made sure he actually had sinatra's mic yeah wow his vocal is, you know, and then the recording engineers, I guess they kind of picked up on it because they noticed the way he sang. It was yeah. kind of mirroring and Frank and, yeah. it, and a sound yeah. engineer could pick up on that. But other people were just looking at his kind of image as this countercultural poet and they couldn't right. see it from the right. image. But actually when the substance of the of the sound it was something else. And so that kind right. of shows you the dichotomy it's not exactly what you think it is.
1: Well, and, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, those kind of like finding out that he went and got Frank Sinatra's mic is not necessarily the first thing you need to know about the doors, but like, you know, it's as you sort of get into these things, it actually does become interesting. Like what kind of film were they using? Whose idea was that? Do you know like about the guy that invented the steady cam? You know, there was no such thing as a steady cam. And then this one dude invented mm-hmm. it and then he went and shot. A reel and on his reel was. Things that ended up in Stanley Kubrick movies Like not the shot that was on the reel But Stanley Kubrick was like we're gonna do That in a movie I'm about to make Another thing he did with his original Steadicam reel he ran up the steps In front of the Philadelphia Art Museum Before there was a Rocky statue there (laughs) Right (laughs) I mean this is what I mean Is like there are several of the things That were in his original reel that Ended up being they just literally Went and copied them with a Different actor because he was like filming His wife and his sort of cousins and stuff running around is sort of like camera friends you know but to to start to learn about some of that stuff it really it it demystifies the whole thing and to me Mm -hmm. it actually gives me more respect for it it actually makes it more interesting to me to think about like some dude had that idea and now Mm -hmm. look it's the godfather too you know it's (laughs) whatever your favorite movie is i mean it's easy to sort of reference some of these things that everybody has seen You know, but it's just as interesting, like you're saying. What's Coppola's favorite movie? What was he watching before he went to make this thing that everybody loves? You know, yeah, it's uh, a reference
0: point for artists. Like when I talk to musicians, because I I started this podcast, and I always like to kind of know who who a musician actually listened to. Not that I feel like they're going to copy them, but it's like 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 every artist that I've ever talked to, whether a songwriter, film director. They're influenced by the the things they like or the things that they're in, you know, that they watch or hear or listen to mm-hmm. or were exposed to. And it shows up in their work, whether subconsciously or directly conscious decisions that they, they didn't even realize that they're they're replicating you know, musicians will replicate like a show tune. Yeah. And it just is in the back of their head and it just comes out when they're playing. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know you remember, that. You remember when LeBron <laughs>
1: James used to bring a book? And like read it on this on the, like the sideline of the basketball court. You remember that was it was a short time, but do you remember when that was happening? And like I heard him talk about one time how the things that he was reading impacted the way he played basketball. And like that is completely impossible for me to sort of sit here and understand how something that you're consuming while you're like sitting back with your feet up, even if you're on court, even if yeah. you're in your uniform, which he did a couple <laughs> of times, right? how that sort of impacts what you're doing out there, but it does. I mean, these things are made by, they're being done by people, you know, and we're all sort of being impacted by this stuff and they, and impacts how movies get made, even if it's not sort of obvious, you know, we had another guest on. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. I think what you're saying about finding out about the shots or the style of cinematography, you know, I think, you know, if you you get into a movie, it's not just a plot. It's not just the actors. It's like, it's the holistic vision of like that's a piece of art, right? And every piece of it, from the sound design to the to, to the, the cameras they're using and the mics and the different approaches and film speeds and whatever. There's all kinds of things that impact what what you're seeing, and it's you know as an artist, I I'm very interested in that myself. Um,
1: we had a guest named Charles Bremesco who is a critic and an you know and a and an author a writer. Uh, thinks very deeply about movies, you know, really interesting guy to sort of listen to talk about things you've never heard of, because he usually talks about things you've never heard of things nobody's ever heard of, but Charles somehow. Um, But, you know, he has a whole book called Colors of Film. And when he came on, we talked a lot about the color palettes that people choose. And that's about lighting and that's about costume. And that's about, you know, that's about sort of what even like films that they choose to use and, and the way they treat those films afterward. And, or if you're doing digital filmmaking, you know, there's, I mean, you can just with color, correct, you know, there's a, a way to shoot it's called S log that sort of captures all the, the colors sort of in a flat way that then can then be adjusted deeply, like all the uh-huh. way out to, you know, all the way out to sort of abstract versions and, but you can do it cleanly with Mm -hmm. your, you know, with your shot without, you know, losing resolution or doing anything crazy. Right. So just, this is one thing that like, this is not the first thing I think about when I think about movies, you know, I'm I'm watching editing, I'm watching the shots a lot of times, but listening to him talk about, I mean, I have noticed that in movies ever since, and he can even talk about color in black and white movies because Mm -hmm. there was a whole theory of color. Right. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the idea that, Uh, in psycho you know the blood in the in the bath in the bathtub In psycho is chocolate syrup right is sort of the story yeah yeah, because (laughs) right because it looks better in black and white exactly yeah so so there's a whole sort of theory of color that lies that underlies black and white because you're going for a black and white image but you know that the way you want the black and white to sort of pop against it is impacted by colors, and you know also that there's certain colors that you sort of, you sort of can't wear, like grays sort of blend into everything else. So there's not a lot of gray in the costume department. You know, there's just mm-hmm. things like this that like are just not front of my head. But it was really fascinating and made for a great episode. That's what I mean. Don't you think that adds to movie culture? I feel like oh, that yeah. adds to movie culture. Yeah, definitely.
0: Because I mean, I get into film noir, or they get into idea. Like I saw Orson Welles talking one time, and they were asking him about you know Citizen Kane and like how brilliant he was he said hey I just didn't know what I was doing like this, <laughs> thing, uh, like there's this whole interview where he basically says you know I was lucky that I didn't know what I was doing and I tried to do things that people told me you shouldn't do and I said well why not right and um and I said that that's really interesting because that's what happens a lot of times in music people will tell you oh well, there's a certain thing you should do but a lot of it, if you went to Berkeley if you learn music theory your professors will tell you I've taught you a theory and I'll go out and break it
1: because right. that's the
0: only way you're going to actually do right. something cool is if right, you actually right. don't stick to whether you actually don't do exactly what your professor told you, you actually try to do the opposite, you know, yeah. and kind of like the idea that if you go out there as an independent filmmaker or an experimental filmmaker or somebody just, that wasn't actually trained, sometimes right. can actually do a better job than the
1: person that is trained. Cause you don't know what you can't do. Yeah. You know, you don't know what you're, you're not allowed to do. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing about making, you know, making documentaries. I worked in the news business for a long time and you work in, you know, um, there's, you know, the news is done in a very particular way and it's done that way on purpose because you would come to the news to get more information, new information, not a new style. You're not here to like find out, you know, to sort of run into a new editing style. You need to get the information. And one of the ways that that makes it easier to get the information is if it's in a style that you're used to, you know, so changes in the news business and style in the news business and, you know, happen very, very, very gradually. hmm. We'll introduce little things a little bit at a time. And over the next two to three years, it'll become normal, you know, but it's a little, you know, there's no surprises and doing that for a long time. Once I like sat down to edit my Attica movie, you know, it was like, I'm doing literally everything that nobody's allowed me to do for the last (laughs) eight years, you know, that I've not been allowed to do all. Like I'm breaking every single rule, you know? yeah. And you go into it with that in mind, but you realize that like, at some point you do want to sort of like hit a beat that like a head cannot, you know, at some point, like the rules exist for a reason and it helps to sort of like let that structure be and then break it at times where it can be seen because otherwise it can just feel like chaos. Right. And I think that's very, I, I music is sort of the one art form that I've, I can't make my fingers perform. I've Mm -hmm. never been able to sort of figure out how to, to make music and sort of write songs. Right. But I do think that that editing film, You know, I've had a lot of conversations with musicians, you know, and editing film. You know, of course, you're using music in the movies, you know, but it's so rhythmic if you want it to be. You Mm -hmm. know, if that's what you're sort of going for, it's so rhythmic and there's so much about like building tension and release. There's so many sort of crossover elements, I think, to songwriting um, that, you know, the logistics of it are much different. Like I can yeah. just sit and stare at something for hours before I actually have to make the move. Right. Like <laughs> playing the trumpet doesn't work <laughs> like that, you know, but the, I think sort of philosophically, and especially once you get into recording things, there is a lot of crossover in there. Well, it's
0: interesting because a lot of times like with our recording devices, like when you mentioned that kind of that modern camera that you can go back and then use whatever edit you want, whatever. Uh, and there's a lot of capability today where I can do a mix And then I can say, well, I want it to sound kind of like what Fleetwood Mac rumors, or Mm -hmm. I want to run it through like a Neve board. They'll make it sound like a Tom Petty record or make it sound like this record you can do sound profiles. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times what you do initially is like this raw sound, and then you treat it after the fact with all these processors and you can start to change the moment. And we change moments for like from seconds. There's certain mm-hmm. like, parts of the song that get treated with certain effects and other parts of the song that get treated with different effects. And I think that kind of idea is similar in film from my understanding is like we can focus people on certain sounds. We can bring them up or bring them low or have yeah. shadow tracks and do things that, that will affect you. Uh, And you might not realize it, but we're actually trying to engineer it to affect you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things that that, that for a long time, especially film people were like, I'm never going to watch a movie on my phone. Never, ever, ever. Right. Well, now my phone is 4k and my headphones are pretty good, man. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're playing and, you know, when you're and 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 pretty good headphones are the standard at this point, you know, I mean, not necessarily everybody's got studio guys, but like even the mm-hmm. earbuds, if that's the only thing you have, you know, that's a pretty dramatic improvement over the headphones that I had in the 80s, you know, oh, yeah. early 90s. Right. <laughs> uh, with the crunchy wire and and. You know, I didn't have studio headphones then either, right? Um, But so I think that like that at this point, you know, it's it's pretty standard even for pretty low budget. I mean, my documentary had a 5.1 surround mix, you know, (laughs) that was like, you know, and and it's a pretty low budget documentary. I mean, like we knew it was going to HBO by the time we were having that done. But, you know, so, you know, like, okay, well, this is going to go live somewhere that you need a surround. You, you know, you gotta put a surround on it. You know, a lot of people sort of but why do you need that? Because enough people have it in their homes now, you know. Yeah, because yeah. actually, if you have decent headphones, you know, it's not giving you a full surround experience, but it is definitely the mix is all over the headphones, if you yeah, you know yeah. right. Yeah, so definitely. so I think that that now it is actually realistic to like watch a movie on your phone and have a pretty full experience, you know. So I think that the like the 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 and yeah, you know, like you're saying, like you don't necessarily realize this is engineered to have an impact. But like when I have your attention, like you have headphones in and my phone is like all your you know, my movies all the way in your face. You know, that is a real invitation to engineer, you know, and to, yeah. to really work with the sound in a way that wasn't necessarily, you know, when you're cracking it out to VHS, you know, it, there's a real incentive to to do it now. Um, and it's also the tools are, are easier. Do you feel yeah. like your podcast is improving music culture? Is that a well, goal of yours? Do you give a shit, or are you well, like, I, well, initially, my, my, my whole point,
0: yeah, initially, my point with, with my, my podcast and with my, the musicians I interview is I focused on um, emerging and independent musicians. I don't really talk to a listers or you know, even B listers, I'm talking to people from all over the world. And in my initial interview back in 2016, I've interviewed about 300 bands from all over the world mm. and individual singer songwriters. And my point was uh, to give focus where it wasn't a focus. And a lot of the focus was on female singer songwriters who I felt weren't getting paid attention to.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I spent a lot of time doing that. And I, I have to the point, we've had some bedroom producer festivals in 21, 22, we nice. went three days and had bands play live sets yeah. from wherever yeah. they work we call it the bedroom producer festival we did three days in 2021 and 2022 and i feel that i do have That sounds the, like that's the, improving movie culture next...
1: dude <laughs> Maybe. i mean that's not but i mean that's not just you like sort of talking about your like top 10 from last year or whatever you know i mean that's like yeah, I'm that's to real to engagement like you said earlier like that's real engagement
0: yeah, well, just I'm a fan first. You know, I, I have a big collection. I'm all over the map. We got I'm, I'm I'm a synthesis, but I listen to everything from punk mm-hmm. to classical if I had you know, people play, you know, classical harpsichordists come on the show and people would play cello and punk rockers and DJs and you know, band, you know, guys from Japan, you know, guys from Russia, anywhere. Um, and my whole point is is, is like as a kid, I used to read like Rolling Stone and anything that got five stars. I would go and check out no matter what the genre right. and I, I would go buy it, go to the strawberries or whatever and go get it. Yeah. And, and I got into everything from like Paul Westerberg to funk, to rock, to punk, you no, know, anything. I was listening to the Velvets. I was listening to big star. I mean, I listened to anything I thought was cool. And if a guy like big star, like, Oh, Alex Chilton, he's, he's this great lost artist. And I said, well, what's in, what's that about when got it. And what I found is like, doesn't really matter what the genre is. If something's, been highly rated or it's interesting I want to check it out and maybe it's not my taste but I think it just makes me a better musician
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to to have a wider palette yeah. and then you know check it as much out I think that's like even when you're an artist or a filmmaker if you, the more things you watch the more ideas you have right to, to be
1: able to figure out how you're going to create you're your not- life I think there's a there you I'm sure, you know, people like this, there's a sort of concept of like, oh, I don't want to like watch other people's shit because I just want to have my own ideas. <laughs> See, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm afraid of sort of being influenced. Right. And yeah, that yeah. is sort of that is not that is refusing to acknowledge that you live in the world. You know, that you are walking around in a world full of humans and there's no way for you to ever do anything that isn't influenced. Like, are you speaking English or did you make up a new language (laughs) that we all have to speak now? You know, right. Like and teach it to the whole world. I mean, that's sort of not how it works. Like even when you look at really innovative artists, you look at I mean, whoever you want, like Prince was playing funk. It might not sound like it, you know, but for a long time, Prince was playing funk and then he ends up sort yeah. of and now it's just like Prince music, you know, yeah. and it and it has sort of gone away from what he was doing in, you know, 78 as you get towards yeah. 88. But like he's still sort of growing out of a genre. I mean, it sort of doesn't matter, you know, The and then that's, you know, you look at somebody like Tarantino now. And, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't try to hide his influences. His influences are all over his movies. And if you say to him, like, oh, I recognize that one scene from that one movie, he'll be like, that was badass, right? <laughs> I mean, that's sort of <laughs> the way he deals with that, is yeah, yeah. is being, you know, really openly and aggressively a fan. And Scorsese does it in a sort of slightly more classy way, but he does the mm-hmm. same thing, you know? And when you look Before. at, like, when you look at what Christopher that's Nolan is referencing, yeah. you know, I mean... I like one of the to me when I first heard like, oh, they're making a movie about Barbie, I was like, "Mm, I'm good. You know, (laughs) I got a couple of little girls, you know, probably gonna end up watching the movie, but I'm gonna not let them find out about it for as long as I possibly can, (laughs) you know. And then I found out Greta Gerwig is it was the was the writer and director. Right. Yeah. And she has made a bunch of weird movies that were very low budget and very strange and sort of mm-hmm. quiet. She works with Noel Bambach, and he makes weird movies. And initially she was making weird movies with him and then she became a director. And it was one of those things where I was like, why would Greta Gerwig agree to make a Barbie movie? Like, she's doing fine. You You know what I mean? Yeah, like, (laughs) unless she knows she's going to have an opportunity to do something weird with it. And then you look and you see, like, oh, Margot Robbie was in Wolf of Wall Street and all these other wild movies. You know, like, she's not sort of had a a very, like, straight and narrow sort of obvious career. She played Sharon Tate. For Tarantino, right? I mean, like she's sort of she's made some weird, interesting choices. Why would she agree to do this? I mean, obviously they're all getting paid, but they're all getting paid anyway. Like at this point, you know, they must have decided to do something weird with it. And I like the opportunity, you
0: can subvert it. You know, if you get a big opportunity, you get the ability to reach a really wide audience because of Barbie, but you can throw in your subvert the
1: audience with your kind of weirdness you know they well and i don't to... know i don't know what they said to greta gerwig to get her to make the barbie movie but i want to find out i want to go <laughs> see it and find out what they you know what she decided to do with this and i think that's like you know talking about those things and sort of recognizing that like this is a very weird person and a very weird filmmaker who stepped into a very not weird world and a very mm. not weird ip and a very not weird character and then she made it weird, you know. And yeah. knowing sort of all of those things around it, it's not important for my four-year-old to watch yeah. the movie. But in terms yeah. of you know grown people having grown conversations, I really think yeah. that makes a big difference. But you
0: can have different levels, you know. Like you can you could think that something's like for kids, and then mm-hmm. it actually could be for adults. You know, it could have kind of subterfuge under it that's like it's actually speaking to these other people, and so. It's kind of been known, you know, the original, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons. They were right. at the at the movie theater. They weren't really right. cartoons. They were they were just like before the movie. Yeah. And so if you actually see that content and you look at it, it's like, wow, that wasn't really meant for kids, right? You know, it was it was for adult audiences. And so sometimes people say, well, it's a cartoon or it's this, or they think it's the, it. You can take an opportunity to kind of. Uh, kind of turn to something on its head. In the musicians, we like to do that sometimes. We'll have a very happy sound, and then yeah. very the lyrics can be very dark, right? And so, you could have a song that's very new wave, but has it has a really good beat, but it's very dark topic, and yeah. then people don't really get it because they just listen to the beat. And so, you can kind of do two things at once you can kind yeah. of you know, yeah. subvert the audience.
1: <laughs> My kid heard, uh, <laughs> I hate to keep going back to my kid, but she has a weird, like sort of like cultural reference point in terms of like, what do people understand of things that are sort of, you know, like the palm of my hand. Right. And, uh, she, you know, she big music loves music, you know, loves all kinds of music. My wife mostly listens to reggaeton at this point. So my mm-hmm. kid sings a lot of like gulo. she's walking around the house like, singing <laughs> reggaeton all day long. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but, uh smells like teen spirit was on and she was like, you know, she asked me, like, she said, can you sing it? Because she doesn't know the words. So she was like, can you sing it? And I was like, God, I will, this will be the last thing left in my memory banks is the lyrics to this song. After I've forgotten the name of my own mother, I'll remember the lyrics of smells like teen spirit. So I started singing the songs to her as it's mm-hmm. playing. Right. And she says like, she literally said like, what does that mean? You know? And I think she was asking about like a specific word, like libido or something that's in there. I think she was asking me what does a specific word mean? mean. But when she asked, I heard it as like, what does the song mean? What do the lyrics mean? And my Mm. response was they don't mean anything. It's just nonsense. Maybe it's not nonsense, but I've never been able to pick a meaning out of it, you know? And yet here we are, like, this is the last thing I'll remember. You know, it's sort of the, you know, the ubiquity of that song you would normally think that that would re, you know that it, that would come with some sort of a meaning <clears throat> that we can all attach ourselves to right but some it artists, doesn't yeah. necessarily yeah some know. artists
0: they want to be very abstract in the way they approach you know Kurt Cobain was throwing in like some tools that were like you know Lennon McCartney type of ideas and in, right. in, in a punk grunge setting and some of yeah. the songs they do kind of have a meaning, and but but some of them have this kind of psychedelic nature of just like throwing things away around, like Frank Zappa, like just throwing right. things in from kind of just to be a, like not to be a jerk about it, but just like I just want to throw things in that you don't expect.
1: Right. Well, and he I, also he ended up taking a bunch of pictures with William Burroughs and like going to Lawrence, Kansas, and hanging out with William Burroughs. You know anything about William Burroughs? You know, was yeah. one of those beat writers, right, you know, yeah, yeah. and him and this guy, Brian Geison, used to do things where like they would write pages and pages and pages, and then they would just cut it up into little pieces and throw it on a floor, yeah, throw, throw it pick around. it up and put it back together. And, you know, some random ass order. Right. And they would always talk about it like there was some, you know, truth to be revealed in the sort that. of like chaos and randomness, you know. I have read a lot of stuff about those guys, and I have found no truths revealed <laughs> in anything that came out of the whole cut up universe. Like, I have found when they wrote things that were coherent, I found interesting things <laughs> inside of that. Yeah. But yeah. the cut up movement, I've never, you know, you never I, got into that. And I think he was <laughs> sort of, I think he was sort of in that thing for a little while there. You yeah, know? yeah. <clears throat> We used but to I do that like with that's... tapes
0: too. I mean, he used to do that with the music. He would go and listen to multiple tapes from multiple sources and then throw them around, right? Yeah. Like he would take something from a live performance, something from a studio, and it's like, oh, this goes together in the same kind of cut. And that was in the 70s. There were a lot of bands doing that. You know, like Pink Floyd was doing it. A bunch of bands were like into that, you know, that kind of experimental f- phase of uh, progressive rock. It was like, oh, let's go and take the tapes and move because we can use right. the studio as a, as a, as a, as, as an instrument, and then right. you can do all these weird layers and cuts and things that you couldn't do, like what people do on an MPC today, what people do in their right. DAW today. Right. People used to do by cutting the tape around and layering it on the multitracks. But
1: uh, yeah, yeah, madness. It seems like a lot of work now.
0: <laughs> I still like some of the multitrack stuff because it has a, a sound that you don't get from the digital. There's some yeah. of the stuff with the analog tools, at least for music that yeah. does have a sound quality. If I'm playing my Moog and I record it to a digital compressing system, it doesn't have the nature of I actually brought it to a reel. If I actually right. put it on the tape that that cut, it's an analog circuit. And if you run yeah. an analog circuit, it has a wider, it's like less compressed. It's going to have this like warmth to it. It's like a like a real bass guitar. If I Ghost pull out a real bass guitar going through a Marshall yeah. and I try to put that through too much digital compression, you lose the whole impact of it. You know
1: why would did I do? Did you that? see? Did you see the doc that Dave Grohl did about the saving the board out of the LA studio? Yeah, yeah, I saw movie?
0: that. Yeah, that board is famous.
1: That Neve board. That was yeah, I mean... such a cool movie. You know, and part <laughs> of what I liked about it was that nobody could explain why it yeah, matters but everybody agrees that it matters. And so at some point in the movie, he just stopped asking people to explain why and it matters. Why it matters yeah. And they just sort of leaned into the mythology of it. Right. And like, I think it's just one of those things that, you know, we like, how would you describe the smell of rain? Yeah, like, I don't know. To... I've never been able to figure out how to describe the smell of rain, but I don't really have to, because as soon as I say that, you know what I'm you talking put the about. picture in your head. You know, you've got the smell in your nose, right? I mean, so Mm -hmm. I think that, it, you know, that this sort of that analog question is similar. I think in film, though, it's just so. uh,
0: It's probably hard to go back that
1: far. It's so (laughs) much more expensive. And the processing is so much more complicated because that's the thing is like you can roll audio to a tape and that's your tape. And now you can copy it. You can digitize it. You can do the thing that you need to do to it, but that's your tape. You shoot movie, you know, you shoot shoot images to film. You still have to go take it to a lab and process it, right? Mm-hmm. Before you actually start doing anything else with it. And just that one step alone is that's so crazy. expensive that yeah. it's, you know, you really are in a question now. You The math really is like, do you want to do your idea, like two ideas on film or 10 ideas in the same amount of space with the same budget on yeah. digital? And when the, you know, when the digital that we're working with is, you know, a DV tape and a PD 150, it wasn't worth it, you know, because it looks so bad that it your imp- <laughs> it's not your idea, you know, right? But at this point, sort of two things have happened. One is that the the, the, the gear has gotten much better. And mm-hmm. also they make, you know, digital cameras at this point can accept like real cinema lenses, which was another mm-hmm. problem with digital filmmaking for a long time is they couldn't take cinema lenses. Oh, wow. And that's we I'd have wonder. been like, well, we have been looking at cinema lenses as like, that's what movies look like for so long that it was impossible to sort of break people out of that, that headspace. And to this day, if you're not shooting on cinema lenses, People now sort of relate it to like Facebook or TikTok or their phone videos, you know, yeah, as opposed to like it. television or it's like the like things that they used video. to reference. It's
0: like a soap TV show. It's not a movie, you know, right. it doesn't have It's not, not a movie. Look, it, it doesn't look like it. You can watch, like, you know, there was, there was a one year, there was the Twilight Zone for some reason. They were using a different camera or something and it looked, yeah. looks like a soap opera. There's yeah. a whole season, The Twilight Zone, where it doesn't look like the film version. It has a totally different look, and it's like you can actually see the difference. It doesn't yep. look like it's right, right. It doesn't feel right because that doesn't look like the quality that it was at the beginning. Yeah. And so I now, think that's like what you can see.
1: <laughs> well, and now people have much more of a sense of. <clears throat> now you can, you know, if you show someone a film image and a digital image next to each other. They can tell the difference, but again, the transition from one to the other has been so sort of slow and meticulous <clears throat> that people just mm-hmm. sort of made the transition without even really being conscious of the fact that yeah, it was I happening, do. you know. And so mm-hmm. now you have a situation where you've got cinema lenses and it's on the digital thing, and even if you as a filmmaker don't necessarily think it looks better, at least it doesn't stand out as it doesn't being stand out really bad amateurish <laughs> or cheap or sort of you know and so people can see it and they've gotten used to it it's gotten better as people have gotten more forgiving of it those two things have sort of happened at the same time i think that's and, what happened with the
0: mp3 like a lot there's a lot of yeah.
1: audio files, like neil young in one of them
0: that will tell you right. that like an mp3 is flac good, baby is how a, much how big pretty, is your hard drive <laughs> yeah it's like it's, it's not what 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 your vinyl is and I would right. say there's certain things that make, you know, when you listen to a vinyl Neil Young or Crazy Horse album and you go listen yeah. to Time Fades Away and you yeah. listen to the digital, I can actually see the difference. I can hear the difference. There is yeah. a difference. There's certain things I can hear better. There's certain things I, I can't hear. And so it's, it's, it's a choice. It's like you want to, you can't carry that vinyl with you. You know, you can't right. carry that 8-track with you. So what are you going to do? You know, right. people are going to go for the convenience. You know,
1: that's what happens. Well, and it's, but it's, you know, you're going to go for the convenience as long as it's at like a certain quality level, you know, like as Mm -hmm. long as it's sort of, you know, because I, I, there's some uh, friend of mine, I, there's a, when Licorice Pizza came out, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you know, Mm -hmm. it was screening at a festival and a friend of mine sent me a, a screener link for this festival to watch this movie because he knows like Paul Tamasan you know you know so I'm going to watch this movie right and but the screener link is a, a 480 sd link and it's got a watermark across it with the <laughs> you know right like and it's like man I really want to see this movie but I'm not going to disrespect this dude and watch this like Watch yeah, that. 80, no, you know, not, right? Like, I'm not right. going to do that to myself or to him or to his movie, as if the movie has feelings or he will ever know or care. But yeah. in my, like, you know, so I yeah. think that that's, they yeah. have, but for the most part, they have, there's another thing that, like, that in, and I don't know that this is, I guess this is maybe the case with music, but I think it's even more so with movies. There was a point where sort of, you could do file sharing with music where you could share music with friends you could burn CDs and stuff like that and that was all happening before you could do any of that with movies because the mm-hmm. you know the file sizes for movies were just so much bigger yeah right? it was easier to do yeah and now you can do that with movies you know mm-hmm. and, and so so i think that like you know i don't like know Napster.
0: I, I, Napster effect on movies is that causing like an after effect
1: Well, see, the thing is, like, initially, when we first started getting into being able to stream movies, there was a very, there was only a handful of movies that were sort of available and, like, you couldn't stream, like, Star Wars for a long time. You remember that? Like, when you couldn't, like, you couldn't couldn't stream the Beatles for the first 10 years of streaming music. You remember that, right? And then they, like, right. And then they worked it it out and they just sort of showed up everywhere all at once. I think Apple had an exclusive for, like, a week or whatever. And then they showed up everywhere (laughs) else. So like now we're at a point where almost all of I don't know that I I haven't done a scientific count. It feels mm-hmm. to me like most of the movies, the surviving silent films, you know, because most of the it. silent films, you know, didn't survive into mm-hmm. the sort of digital era, right? But the, mm-hmm. for the ones that did, it feels to me like most of them are available on YouTube now, you know, and oh, that wow. didn't used to be the case, it used right? To be the like case there's people there's a lot, and and you know, with music, I feel like, as, like you sort of had to tap into, you know, you sort of had to find your guy. You sort of had to find the person that had the thing, you know, that Bob Marley record that you didn't have, you know. Well, there's and, still
0: with music, the one thing the, the record companies have not brought back everything. There's still yeah. catalogs of 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 songs that, like, there's still worth is a it's a worthwhile trip to go to a vinyl record store because yeah. some of these companies have not. Um, put all the albums in the catalog out there they've made decisions based on what makes money and some of those albums that didn't make money they're not there you know and so if you want to be a completist and try to check stuff you'll find there's a bunch of stuff that you can't find so it's still good reason to go dive in into record stores to find stuff if you're like a total fanatic you know, you're looking for every mm-hmm. Sun Ra record <laughs> that
1: ever got put out. Woo! Have you got a, a good, journey in a good, front of you? You have a lot to look for. <laughs> Did you ever see the Sun Ra movie? Did you yeah. ever see Space? I, is the place?
0: I, 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 I totally love Sun Ra. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fanatic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had on uh, film critic Soraya Nadia McDonald, and she talked about Space is the Place. Uh, yeah, space and is the place, yeah. I hadn't seen it since. Uh, time when I was uh, not watching a lot of things sober, uh, and so <laughs> it was fun to to go back and rewatch the Sun Ra movie. You know where he gets to create his own world as he always kind did. Of like
0: I felt like George Clinton kind of kind of uh, <sighs> took a lot of that those ideas for Parliament Funkadelic. Because yeah. if you look at what Sun Ra was doing in '58 and '62, '63. They're wearing these space costumes, but they're playing Bebop. Right. Playing jazz and Silhouette is Bebop. It's like anything that 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 Davis and Coltrane would have been doing, but they're doing it dressed up like aliens. <laughs> and you're like, but they're doing it just as good as any of those other groups. And you're like, yeah. and they kind of were hurting themselves. You know, in that time, they was like, that was a negative. They were like, why are you guys not in suits? Right. <laughs> why, you right. not, why don't you look like what what miles looks like you know why don't you dress like those other guys is like they they had the mission they had this mindset right and in the 70s it it worked for parliament funkadelic but they were like way ahead of the curve
1: (laughs) yeah yeah wow i wonder if those guys hung out i mean they had to
0: he must have known about it you know
1: Uh, right one of them definitely saw the other one
0: yeah <laughs> right like it was
1: definitely in the audience at some point you know oh, even if they never hung out that. yeah right <laughs> wow well i think you know i think these conversations are how we improve culture across the board man i mean i think that this is how we improve movie culture i think that this is, you know getting musicians on the show getting you know not just sort of critics but and you know getting all different types of people on the show we're about, we're going to be interviewing a director from a Netflix movie very soon mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm supposed to say what yet who and what yet but i mean you know interviewing a director from a Netflix project very soon and talking about you know what went into her movie what inspired her movie like to me like this is i've enjoyed talking to you this has been great this has been a good conversation and it, being able to talk cross sort of cross culturally from a filmmaker to a musician you know to me like that there are things to be learned there there's like actual things to to be gained there and also i actually enjoy it so i don't have to fake it it's so much easier when you don't have to fake it
0: (laughs) well that's yeah my whole issue is like i created this like my own independent like label for my music called expansive sound and the idea is like i want to go cross genre and with the podcast i did the same thing because i initially only talked to musicians and then I started talking to poets and filmmakers and directors, everybody who is a creative, but then I crossed over into other things. So I've talked to a lot of therapists, and other, but the whole idea was I'm going to have music as a theme in my podcast and try to weave it into every conversation, because I feel like music is the soundtrack of, of everybody's life. It, it inspires people. And you know, think about the Beatles, how many filmmakers, how many artists, how many creative people got inspired by that? The fact that the Beatles did what they did and yeah. what they did, you know, they did movies, they did TV, they did concerts, they did concepts that were visual and yeah. auditory, you know, and audio. And so the right. idea of with music, you think about Bowie, oh. the theatrics of David Bowie and, you know, Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin insane. it was always visual, it was always very theatrical. So there's always been like a connection between like yeah. me, film directors and uh, art, artists of all types and music and uh you know any people are creative at all different levels as human beings so you can kind of throw that creative thread of being an artist and it doesn't matter what you do but it's, we can enter we can connect and kind of talk shop yeah you know yeah
1: yeah <clears throat> all right well thank you very nice
0: Well, I want people to know that they'll be able to uh, click on your link when we're published. So that will go right to your Apple podcast so people can check that out. Uh, When we're fully published, all these links that you see, see, that link there for your Apple podcast, a very good year, that will be clickable. And so people can check that out. We do encourage people to check that out.
1: Excellent. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed being on, and I think that it, you know, if somebody's sort of listening to the conversations, of, you know, at the level that you are obviously having them, and sort of, you know, and thinking about music at the level that you're thinking about it and talking about it, I think they will enjoy listening to, you know, to us sort of talk about movies from the same, you know, from a sort of of intellectual perspective and and talking with smart people about it, and you know, sort of giving you some reasons to to like it, not just telling you I like it. Also, we, we banged through 20 oh, yeah. to 30 movies over the course of every episode. So if, you, you know, if you're looking for oh, recommendations, sorry. we got that too.
0: Yeah, I, I think I would love to do I'm going to check it out because I always want to hear a, you know, new, a new recommendation for something I should check out. But I know you got to leave now, but uh, thank you for being on the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. This will be everywhere. Uh, we'll send you that link tomorrow for the landing page. Thank you again for being a guest on our show. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for having me, man. This was awesome.